Please be seated. Lord God, we trust that you're the one who, through your Holy Spirit, inspired the words that we look at this morning from Scripture. So God, we pray that your same Holy Spirit would come and illuminate our hearts, help us to hear your word and make it a part of our lives like never before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Not too long ago, Evelyn and I were watching a movie at home, and it was supposed to take place in Seattle. So I was kind of excited about the movie for that reason. We were watching the movie, and right in the middle of it, they had to the main characters to take off and go out to the countryside. And I presumed it was out a little bit to the east, maybe up somewhere on the plateau. Except they got in the car and started, started driving, and it looked more like Nevada than it did here. And I burst out, hey, what's that about? That's not Seattle. And Evelyn goes, okay, whatever. And that kind of torqued me because I know Seattle. So I insisted and made a big deal out of it. No, no, this is not Seattle. That looks like Nevada or something, for crying out loud. Well, we got into this ten-minute argument, and it ruined the rest of the movie. (laughs) The disappointing thing was I was right and she was wrong. But my point about that is that we all need help as peacemakers, don't we? We all need help as peacemakers in our relationships. Not only that, sometimes it's a lot more profound than it is trivial. And we see broken relationships around us. Just look at the the news headlines about all the stuff we're anguishing about in the Middle East. Or even here in town in the past couple weeks. The passage this morning is about peacemakers. And God says, I want you to be peacemakers. That's a characteristic of God's own heart. See, part of the message of this morning is that you can't be saved without being changed. Another way to look at it is you're not really in God's family if your attitudes and your actions are exactly like everybody else outside the family. You're not really a member of God's family if your attitudes and actions, your lifestyle, your commitments are exactly the same as everybody else. Now it's important, I think, to notice that this challenge to a new kind of living comes at the point that it does in the Beatitudes. After all, as we've taken a look this summer, the Beatitudes or the blessings, in a sense, it's like Jesus is saying, if these are your condition, you have it well off. You're lucky. And it is important to look and see that blessed are the peacemakers that comes at this point in the Beatitudes. How come? Well, the first four Beatitudes talk about God's blessing for what we lack, for what we lack, the stuff we don't have. The first four are talking about God blesses you when you're empty, when you're crestfallen, when you're down in spirit. God blesses you when you need him. They're all about grace. The first four are about what we lack, and the next four are about what we live. In a sense, the first four are about grace, because they're about how God blesses us even out of our emptiness. Nothing, nothing in My hands I bring, only to the cross of Christ I cling. That's what it's about. We're saved by grace, through faith, by nothing that we do, and God blesses us. 
But now the second four Beatitudes are all about what we live. They're about our gratitude in response to grace. They're about how God blesses us in what he calls us to do and be. God's blessings are for people who become new from the inside out. And God says this morning, I want to give you a new heart. I want to make you new and fresh from the inside out. And when you let me do that and my Holy Spirit begins to get a hold of you, I'm going to bless you. God's blessings are for people who become new from the inside out. So look at how the characteristics pile up. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And now blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. See, all of these words are pictures of the salvation that God has in store for those who love Him, for those who are called according to His purpose. All of these kind of paint the picture of what God is doing. It's for the merciful, for the pure in heart, for the peacemakers. God's saying, I want to give you a new heart. I want to make you a new person. And otherwise, we won't be able to stand before Him come judgment day. See, that's why Jesus said, unless your righteousness goes beyond that of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, by that he means unless you are rightly related to me and to your neighbor, unless your righteousness goes beyond that, unless it's better than that of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven at all. He says that later in the chapter on the Sermon on the Mount. See, sometimes our words sound good, but our lives can look just like anybody else's in this sorry old world. And that's why it's important to say that Jesus isn't making suggestions here. He's describing a stairway to heaven. And he's saying, get on that pathway. Be children of God. Be children of God so that you can stand in the last judgment. That's what the message is all about this morning. And so if you're on the narrow path that leads to life, stay on it. And if you're on the broad path that leads to destruction, look to the Lord's direction. That's His offer to us this morning. I think of the book, The The Pilgrim's Progress, and it describes that journey. And of course, it's an allegory for the faith. And the Christian is called Christian in that book. And he's making his way toward the celestial city. So he's making his way and he finds that there are paths that veer off to the left and to the right. But the narrow path, that's the one on the high ridge that he has to stick to. And off on one side, there's danger. And off on the other side, there's destruction. And it's like that for us too, isn't it? See, we've got to choose to walk on the narrow path. And on either side is a terrible abyss. It falls away endlessly. And Jesus is saying, no, go in the Lord's direction. Let me make you new from the inside out. When Jesus tells us that it's blessed, it's good, it's a lucky place to be when we're peacemakers, he isn't telling us how to become children of God. I think that's important to get in the message this morning. When Jesus tells us how good it is to be peacemakers, 
He's not telling us how to become children of God. He's describing the children of God as peacemakers. If you're already a child of God, you're going to be a peacemaker. He's describing the children of God that will be welcomed home into the Father's house in the end. Look how John says it in the opening of his gospel. He says, to all who believed him, he gave the power to become sons and daughters of God. To all who received him, to all who simply said yes, Lord Jesus, to all who simply believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Paul says the same thing in Galatians. So you all are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. See, we don't become God's children by being peacemakers or merciful or anything else. But if we are God's children, we begin to grow into these characteristics. So they become an intrinsic, basic, joyful part of our Christian walk. We become children of God by trusting in Christ. By saying, God, I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying for me. Please give me the power to live for you. It's making Jesus the forgiveness, the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And Jesus is saying this morning, people who have become children of God have more and more these characteristics. See, God is a God of peace. See, once when we were enemies of God, warring with Him, He made peace by the blood of Christ. And now He declares that we are free from all charges against us. Anybody who will simply lay down their arms and come before Him in trust. And so now what God loves, we love. What God lives for, we live for. So we're growing to be peacemakers. Like Paul says in another place in Galatians, since we are sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And now we can cry out to Him, saying, Father, Abba. We can rely on Him. We don't earn the chance to become sons and daughters of God. It's all His gift. And His gift is we receive His Spirit by faith. And the fruit of the Spirit is, among other things, peace. Everyone who bears the gift of peace is a child of God. And from start to finish, it's all grace. See, later in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus continues to talk about making peace. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. That's grace. He sends rain on both the just and the unjust. That's grace again. See, if we want to become children of God, we have to be peacemakers. We have to love our enemies and we have to pray for those who hurt us and persecute us. And in fact, that's going to be the next beatitude. The very next verse. For me, this comes out in the comic books and in the movie series, the X-Men. This summer, they just came out with X-Men number three, and I think it's, uh, this series is a great story. 
And it's a picture of being peacemakers. See, it's the story of all of these mutants. And a whole bunch of mutants are rebelling against humanity because they're persecuted. And they want to defend their own rights. And so they're going to attack humanity. But one little group of them, the X-Men, follow Dr. Xavier. And they decide at great cost to themselves, they're going to use their special mutations or abilities or powers in order to bless, in order to save human beings. Even if those human beings fear mutants and seek to destroy them. See, Jesus says peacemaking is the whole set of acts of love that overcome hatred and bitterness between people. It's interesting to me what Jesus does not say this morning as characteristics or signs of being his children. He doesn't say we have powerful spiritual gifts. Yes, we do have spiritual gifts, but it's not what he points to here. He doesn't say that those who are children of the living God are powerful or excellent in their worship. Yes, that's important. But the characteristic that he names here is peacemaking. So I want to think this morning briefly, just uh, say three things about what that means. The first is this, peace means making whole. Peace means making whole. Seems to me that this ties right back into the Old Testament. The Old Testament word for peace is shalom, as you know. Shalom is a holistic word. A lot of times we think of peace just in terms of a ceasefire, practically. Get the guns to be quiet, and maybe that's the best we can hope for. God's vision for peace is so much bigger. And the Old Testament word is a comprehensive word. It has to do with community, with the, the intrinsic, the inside character of caring for one another. To really bring peace means to bring community, and that's why peacemakers are reconcilers. It's much more than simply the absence of war. It's well-being, it's wholeness, it's healing, and it's healthy relationships. Making peace means making whole. That's why peace has to do with the circles of daily life, with our family and congregation, with our community. It has to do with the big circle of life and then the little circle of our lives too. Second, peace means Taking the initiative. Taking the initiative. Jesus says in chapter 5, if you're offering your gift on the altar and you remember that somebody has something against you, I think that's very interesting. He doesn't say, then if you remember you've done something wrong or you're holding a grudge, go and work it out. No. He says, you remember somebody has something against you. That means you don't worry about it not being your fault. You go and make it right. If you remember it, that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Peacemaking means taking the initiative. See, often that conviction that we need to work something out with a brother or sister, that comes when we're being quiet before the Lord in a time of prayer. And the Holy Spirit begins to bring that conviction and uh, brings it to our attention. The Lord's saying, you, you bring that to the other person. You bring them before the Lord for their good. You work it out. When the Holy Spirit nudges on the inside, Jesus says, don't sit around, but act. When we trust God 
and we put ourselves and our lives on the line, we give God the opportunity to act and to bring healing. So peace means taking the initiative. Third thing is this. Peace needs to be in the right order. Peace needs to be in the right order. It's like Paul says in Romans chapter 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. See, that's the goal of the peacemaker. Live at peace with everybody. And yet there's that little caveat, isn't there? If possible, insofar as it depends on you, that ought to be our goal. Insofar as it depends on you, you live at peace with everybody. Don't let a broken relationship be your fault. See, there are times when God calls you to make a stand, to take a stand that causes division. Jesus said, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Sometimes we read that and it kind of sticks in your craw. What? Jesus? Really? Well, yeah, because he's saying you do the right thing. And sometimes there's going to be a, a strong reaction, a bad reaction against it. Jesus' words are a little unsettling, but he's simply saying that he's the great dividing line. His coming often results in conflict. See, he demands a response. And sometimes people can be split over him. There's no middle ground. Sometimes we might make someone mad when we've done what's right. Sometimes standing for the truth causes division. And the truth can never be set aside for the sake of unity. Never can because that's a false unity. So Jesus is saying you want to have peace? Then work for peace. You have to pray for your enemies. You have to act for their good. You have to want the barriers to be overcome. But you can never abandon allegiance to Jesus and to His Word, come what may, no matter what that brings. If you act in love and you speak in truth, then that's going to bring a lot of good feelings and affirmation from a lot of people. But every once in a while, there's going to be a bad reaction. Every once in a while, that's going to provoke suspicion or anger or defensiveness. And maybe that's why Jesus says in the very next beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. See, the first priority is righteousness or what's right, and then it's peace. Like James says, the wisdom that is from above is first of all purity, and then peace. Look at the order. You can't compromise purity in order to make peace. Now, is personal peace a trivial thing compared to the great issues of our day? You look at the newspaper and how we anguish over what's happening in the Middle East or in Iraq. We anguish over what's happening in the Sudan, places around the world. Is our personal circle a trivial thing compared with these grand issues well it's interesting to me how Jesus whenever he gets the big issues he always seems to bring it down to a personal point some people came to him concerned about Pilate's atrocities there were some Luke writes in chapter 13 that were present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices and Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? 
I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. See, Jesus took this huge social issue and he made it into a demand for individual persons to turn to him. Unless you repent, you'll all perish in the same way. Why? Because Jesus understands that the biggest issue of all isn't the fate of a nation. The biggest issue of all is the eternal destiny of a human being's soul in our standing before him. Everything else flows out of that in our world. So if you come to Jesus with a question about the justice of paying taxes to Caesar, he'll turn it into a personal command. He'll say, you give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And you give to God the things that are God's. And if you come to Jesus with a complaint about the injustice of a brother who won't divide the inheritance with you, he'll turn it into a warning to your own conscience. Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? Take heed and beware of being covetous, for life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. See, personal issues aren't puny at all compared with the great issues of the day. Because if you want to be a part of God's family, if you want to have a home with Him in heaven one day, then you have to become a new creature. You have to let Him give you a new heart. You have to become fresh and new from the inside out. And without a merciful, peacemaking heart, we can't be children of God come judgment day. And you know what? That's the biggest issue of all. Blessed are you peacemakers who pray for your enemies, who meet your adversaries with love like your heavenly Father, who work for wholeness, who take the initiative, who put peace in its right order because you will be God's children. And Jesus says you're going to inherit eternal life. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness and for being our teacher. And we pray that you'd stir up in our lives so much that we would naturally burst forth with all of this kind of creative, life-saving power to be your peacemakers in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.